So Hebrews chapter 1, let's read this whole thing together here, verses 1 through 14. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment, and they will uh, be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So last week, we were in the book of Colossians. And that moment in Colossians where Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, what he was doing is he wanted to address a heresy that was beginning to develop and to bubble over amongst the people in that church. And this heresy is that they were beginning to believe that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God. And so Paul, as he's writing this letter, wants to make a, a strong argument to point out the error of the Colossians' ways as they're beginning to believe this heresy. And so the first thing that he comes out with, the Apostle Paul, when he's talking to the Colossians, is that he points out to them that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the image of the invisible God. And if you were here last week, you'll remember we took just a, a small survey at some of the attributes of God. If you don't have those written down, God is infinite. He is eternal. He is immutable, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he is sovereign. And so as we looked at those attributes, we saw that the writer of Colossians, Paul, was getting the people to see that not only is God all of those things, but so is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, and he carries all of the same attributes that God does. And then from there, um, the apostle Paul shows the people that Jesus was there in creation, that he was there and that God created the, the heavens and the earth through Jesus and for Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And then from there, we talked about what Jesus is coming to this earth, what it accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so this week in Hebrews 1, it says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. If you remember from, from last week, we talked about nobody's ever actually seen God. 
Like Moses is probably the closest, you know, but even at that point, God only let Moses see like the back of his glory. And even to protect Moses from that, he picked Moses up and put him in the cleft of a rock to protect him. Because if we were to actually lay our eyes on this holy God, we'd probably just like spontaneously combust because of the glory that radiates from him. Ezekiel had a kind of a moment where he got to see like a likeness of God, but nobody's actually ever seen God. And so the way that God in the Old Testament, that he would speak with his people is he would pick a prophet and he would share um, things through that prophet and then they would go and then they would take those things out to the people. And so uh, Webster's 1828 dictionary um, defines a prophet as in scripture, a person illuminated, inspired, or instructed by God to announce future events. And that would be people such as Moses, Elijah, David, and Isaiah. And so here's a really good example of this. If you've read it all in the the Old Testament, God comes to Moses in a burning bush and he declares that he's going to set his people free. And so then God through Moses then takes that to the people and lets them know what is to come. Later on, we see that when the uh, the, uh, Israelites are in the wilderness, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. God gives Moses all the laws for what they were to live by. Moses uh, got all from God. He got the size of the temple, all the things that they were supposed to have. God gave that to Moses, and God, uh, Moses was, was God's prophet, and then he would then take that out to his people. And so here's one of the things that you need to know about a prophet. Because many of us today, how many times have you ever heard somebody come up to you and say, well, God told me to tell you? And I think it's really important to understand There are probably times that God did tell a person to go and to share something with somebody else. But then there's probably a lot of times where we probably didn't hear from God and we want to go and we want to go share those things. Like if I were to go to my wife and go, I think the Lord told me to stop asking you to ask me to keep my socks from being all over the house. Like, you know, that's maybe not a word from the Lord. You know what I'm saying? But there are times that that God will speak to a person and ask them to go and share that. And so one of the things we need to know about a prophet is this. They would never speak under their own authority. Because the, the reality is we're all sinful men. And we don't have special powers that allow us to see in the future and to know the past and to know the mind of another person. But we serve a God who does. And so a prophet would never speak under his own authority. In Exodus 4.12, it says, now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. In Deuteronomy 18.18, God assured Moses, I will raise up for my people a prophet like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. Many times in the Old Testament, the prophetic books will begin with these words, the word of the Lord came to And you can see that in Hosea, Joel, Micah, Zephaniah, and Jonah. And then finally, in Amos 1.3, Amos claimed, this is what the Lord says. And so again, in these Old Testament times, God would speak through a prophet. And so for us today, how do we know, and and, and can, if somebody comes to you and says, well, I really feel like God told me to tell you this, you test it against Scripture. Hold on to it and say, hey, thank you. I will pray about that. Maybe even share it with some people around you um, that you would love and trust and that could help speak into is maybe whether or not God is in that. Because we've got to be so careful when we try to speak um, on behalf of God. There was a time in my life, I was probably in 11th grade, and there was a small group of my friends. We would go to this church on Oslo Road, and we would just pray for like three and four hours at a time. And it was all all students, no adults or anything. And one of the students spoke a prophecy over me. And I carried that like a weight for years. 
But as I grew deeper in my relationship with Jesus Christ and began to understand his word more and more, I realized that the fashion in which this prophecy was spoken over my life, it wasn't biblical. And so therefore, I carried something with me that I thought was coming from the Lord. But then as I began to understand it, it didn't line up with scripture. And so I was able to kind of cast off the chains of something that was spoken over me. And I know this person, it was not their intention to to speak on behalf of God in a way that would be unhonoring to him. But it's important for us that if if we are going to go and share those things or if somebody shares those things with us, that we test it against God's word. In verse 2, it says this, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And so one of the things that we're acknowledging and celebrating at at this season of Christmas is that God, while he spoke through these prophets in the Old Testament, when Jesus Christ came, God is now speaking through his very son. Think about this. Jesus is now God's greatest mouthpiece for the gospel, God's greatest uh, mouthpiece for who God is. I mean, look at how many times in scripture do we see where Jesus, he's heralding the coming of the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling us what salvation looks like. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be able to honor God with our lives. And so I know many of us, we've talked about this before, but we we say we want to hear from God and we want to see how do I live a life that's glorifying to who? We study Jesus. And I've said it over and over again, church, if there's anything that would mean more to me than anything is fall in love with your Bible. God's very words for your life are here. He gave us this prophet. He gave us Jesus Christ. You're wondering, well, how do I take care of my finances? Go study Jesus. He'll tell you all about it. How do I, what does it look like to to live a life that glorifies God? Study the life of Jesus. Jesus Christ now becomes the prophet that God is using to speak to his people. And then it goes on to say, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through him also he created the world. It was cool. Last week, we spent a little bit of time kind of talking through some um, what they call like apologetic arguments for the existence of God. And apologetics is basically it's just having an argument for who God is and that he actually exists. And so I love that we studied last week in Colossians written by the Apostle Paul to a specific people group. And now this week, we're studying out of the book of Hebrews that was not written by Paul and written to a specific people group. They bring up creation when they're making an argument for who Jesus Christ is. Because like we talked about last week, is there any other greater way to convince somebody of the existence of God than just letting them look at what's naturally around them and explaining um, there's no way that could have just happened? And so remember we talked about last week that the size of our sun, you could fit 1.3 million planets the size of Earth just with inside of our sun. And our sun is on the small side when you actually look at the universe. And there are stars out there that are 100 times larger than our own sun. And it says that Jesus Christ created that. One of the coolest things for me is when I study, I like to look into science and physics and things like that. And the more and more that these scientists try to peel back the veil of creation to try to kind of see like the source code that's happening behind it, um, the more and more they begin to realize that everything is so perfectly fine-tuned in our universe, there's no way it could have just happened. And so mathematicians and physicists, they can come up with all these equations that begin to understand and be able to explain what's happening in nature. And the more and more they come up with these incredible equations, the more and more they go, well, something created it. We just don't know who it is. And don't you just want to, in those moments, just give them a Bible and go, stop looking. The answers are right here. You know? 
And so um, we talked about last week um, how just like how perfectly in balance and in tune this, this world that we live in is and how if, if even one little factor of it was off, life as we know it would cease to exist. And so we talked about gravity last week. And we talked about how if the, 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 the forces of gravity were to change at all by a factor of 1 in 10 to the 40th power, life as we know it would cease to exist. And so my wife, she's a teacher, and we've already talked about details and numbers for Jeremy. You know, they're not my jam. So I was a little bit wrong, but it's a point forty zeros in a 1. So if, if these forces of gravity were to be off at all by point forty zeros in a 1... Life as we know it would cease to exist. How many of you guys knew that our universe is actually expanding? There's this idea called the red shift in its way that light is moving, and, and scientists are able to study that, and they can actually, they're starting to see the universe all comes from one point, and it's expanding out from this one point. They would like to call it the Big Bang. We'd like to call it Genesis 1, right? And so there's just this moment in time that they're starting to be able to get back to, and they see that, that the universe is expanding at a rate from that one singular point. So it's a fixed constant that this universe is expanding. Did you know that if that fixed constant were to be off by 1 in 10 to the 120th power, everything we know would cease to exist? Here, maybe this will help give you just a little bit more perspective. So the human body is made up of cells, right? Now, there's no way for us to fully count all the cells, but we, scientists would believe that there's probably 10 to the 14th power um, cells inside your body. So that would be a one with 14 zeros. That's a lot of cells, right? So trillions and trillions of cells in the human body. Picture it this way. Let's imagine that one of those cells were to get off kilter, you would cease to exist in a heartbeat. Now, I, I know there, there's a doctor sitting over here and cells will die and come back, but I'm just trying to get you to understand like the magnitude and how perfect everything is in order for us to be able to be here in this moment. Because all of it points back to there is a God. God created the heavens and the earth. And it says in this scripture that he did all of that through the person of Jesus Christ. It's another claim to see that Jesus Christ is supreme, that he is all-powerful. And here's the thing that just continues to blow my mind away as I study this more and more, that the same Jesus that created all of these things that we see is sitting in this room right now with you, and he loved you enough that he came to this earth as God and became fully man and experienced temptations and hurt and pain and lived a perfect life so he could die on a cross for you. So not only is he keeping the universe in order, but he died so that you might be able to have peace with God. Try and wrap your mind around that. Verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. I love this. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And so let's take a look at this word radiance and what it means. Again, in the 1828 Dictionary of the English Language, um, radiance is defined as brightness, shooting in razor beams, hence in general, brilliant or sparkling luster. Vivid brightness is the radiance of the sun. I love that when we think about God's glory. It's like the vivid brightness such as the radiance of the sun. How many people last year went outside to go see the eclipse when it happened? It was pretty cool, Right? And how many of you are super rebellious like me, and even though they told you not to, tried to look at it with your naked eye? Right? I did. 
I looked for like a second and it was like, oh, and like your eyes hurt and you just like almost want like one drop down to a knee because it's just, it's so bright. I want you to think about that in contrast to God's glory. It's even brighter than that eclipse. It, it's so bright, you can't even look upon it. And it says that Jesus Christ is the very radiance of God's glory. Jesus Christ is this, this vivid brightness, like the sun of the glory of God. And so um, in, in the Old Testament, they use this word glory a lot. Can you put up that scripture, Carrie? Psalm 119, 1 and 2 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And so this idea of glory in the Hebrew is this. It's anything that has, like, weight or significance. It's anything that makes you realize how very small you are and how very big that God is. And it says that the heavens are declaring that glory over and over and over. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? You ever stood there in awe that God created that? We all live in Florida. We've all seen a sunset or a sunrise here on the beach. You ever sat and watched a sunrise and it brings you to tears because you're seeing just a glimpse of the glory of God? I was, uh, I think I was about a senior in high school, and we were in North Carolina on a family vacation hanging out with uh, my aunts and uncles. And so they said, hey, do you guys want to go to Grandfather Mountain? Anybody been to Grandfather Mountain in North Carolina? It's pretty cool, right? So we start making the long climb in our car up the mountain. And I don't necessarily like heights, but I've never been super, like, affected by them. So we get to the top, and there uh, at the top of Grandfather Mountain, there's a big suspension bridge that you can walk over, and it's, like, exactly a mile up from the ground. And so I start to kind of go over to this bridge, and I look down, and I was like, nope. And I start to, like, turn away. I'm not walking across that thing. And my aunt, it comes up to me. My aunt Brenda comes up. and's like, oh, you're fine. I can get you. So she makes me hold her hand. Again, I'm like a senior in high school. And so I'm holding her hand, and I'm, like, shaking. I'm like, get across the bridge. And I kind of, like, looked over for a second. And we get on that little outcropping of rock. And we're looking around. I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. It's really beautiful and things like that. So we get back across, again, holding my aunt's hand. And my uncles and my dad and my brother are like, let's go to the top of the mountain. I'm like, I can do this. And it's really cool if you've not been there. Um, there's these, these trails that kind of take you up through the woods. And you kind of look out and you can see through the trees. And you can see kind of, you're starting to see kind of the tops of the mountains, but you're not really quite seeing it. And it's really beautiful. And then the craziest thing happens. You get down to the end of this trail and there's a sheer walk, rock wall with an old rickety wooden ladder bolted to it. And I look at my dad and he's like, just go up. So I start climbing up this ladder. I get through the tree line, and I look to the left, and I immediately grab the ladder. I began to realize how small I was and how big those mountains were. I think they call this idea like exposure, and I freaked out. I looked at my dad and said, this is it. This is where I'm dying. You ain't going to get me off this ladder. This is my new friend, and I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life. Well, now my dad's getting mad at me, and he's hitting me in the foot because I look down, and there's a whole line of people, some on the ladder and some behind, that want to try to get up and see, get to the top of the rock. And so they finally get me down off this ladder, and all I could do is go and hang onto a tree while my family went up to the top of the mountain. I'm just shaking. I think it's the strongest example I've ever had in my life of what the glory of God is. 
If you could actually come into contact with it, it will shove you to your knees. You'll be looking for something to hold on to. It'll shake you to your very core. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who we are celebrating here at Christmas, is the very radiance of that glory. And it goes on to say, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so that very Jesus that created the heavens and the earth, the very Jesus who is the radiance of glory, he's holding everything that we see with but a word. How many of us right now in this season, does it feel like we're like 15 plates in the air and we're trying to get everything done and we're just about to, to fall apart? Imagine holding, there's two, 300 people in this room right now. Imagine holding 14 million trillion cells and every one of these things together, but also knowing everything that's going on and keeping it all going. And he does all of that with but a word. That is how powerful our Jesus is. He goes on to say, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so if you remember last week, we talked about what did Jesus accomplish when he came down to this earth? And so it said in the book of Colossians that, that Jesus Christ came so that way we might have peace with the Father. Because church, because of our sin nature, um, we're separated from God. And because of that sin, we are now an enemy of the God of the universe. And we just think about that. That God of the universe that with the snap of his finger, he'd be gone. You're enemies with him because of your sin. And the reality is, it doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how much money you give to charity. It doesn't matter how much you help out your neighbor. You are still a sinner in need of a savior. And so what Jesus accomplished by coming to this earth and how he changed the world forever is that when he died on that cross, we're told here in Hebrews that it was purification for sins. And then we know that after Jesus uh, died and he was in the grave for three days and he rose, we know then that he was here for, for a certain amount of time and then God brought him up to heaven. And the writer of Hebrews says that that Jesus that came, that walked this very earth is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that his very name is even greater than that of the angels. Now, this next section in Hebrews, we're going to kind of read a bunch of verses at once, but here's the cool thing. Last week, we spent an entire time to, our entire time together reading the Apostle Paul's claims about who Jesus Christ is. And now this week, we've spent the last 25 minutes studying who the writer of Hebrews claims that Jesus is. But in, these next, uh, group, in this next grouping of verses, we are now going to see who God himself is claims Jesus Christ to be. I want you to notice as we're going through these verses, all the quotation marks. Those quotation marks are God himself speaking and God himself now making claims for who Jesus Christ is. And so in verse five, it says this, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This is God, the creator of the universe, claiming Jesus Christ as his own son. And in verse six, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let God's angels um, worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. 
But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. God and his angels, he actually tells his angels, you will worship my son. He is above you. Do you notice in verse 8, that little second part, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. He's talking about Jesus. Remember, we talked about God and those attributes, those seven attributes, and that God is eternal and that he's outside of space and time. And that's what God is saying about Jesus, too, that Jesus Christ, like God, is outside of space and time. Verse 10, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Again, saying, Jesus, my son, who the angels are worshiping, was there in creation. And verse 11 says, they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will have no end. Again, God is showing the attributes that he has, his son also has. Remember we talked last week that God says he is immutable. It means he is unchanging. And it says, but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has ever said, sit at my right hand and I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? And so we've heard some amazing arguments about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And Jesus Christ died so he could be your Savior. Church, that is what Christmas is about. Not about presents. Not about getting the family together. It's not about all the craziest that we, craziness that, that we've placed on Christmas. About a God who loved his people so much, sent his own son. Church, do you believe the claims that we have studied? Because if you do, I just wonder are you letting the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, are you letting it change who you are? Because scripture calls us over and over that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our lives will start to change. Are we sharing this message of the gospel to everyone that we're seeing? Because we've talked about it, and I'm going to share the gospel again, and I know we do that all the time here. The first two times I preached last, uh, in November, I shared a lot of the gospel. Then Dr. Smith did a three-week sermon series on the gospel. Last week, I shared the gospel. But the reality is that everything we know points to Jesus Christ, who is the gospel. Do you know that in all 66 books of the Bible, Jesus is either pointed to or straight up talked about? All 66 books. I have a, a study Bible that I use. And at the beginning of every book that you're about to read, it shares all of the historical information, things that were going on. And it has a section in every book, how this book points to Jesus Christ. And in 66 books written by, hundred, hundred, by all these different people over thousands of years, every single one of those books will point to Jesus Christ. The gospel is in everything. And so we have to share it every single time that we get together to open up his word. If we want to talk about our finances, it will point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to talk about parenting, it will point to the, to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's simple. 
We are separated from God because of our sin. I said it earlier, there's not an amount of money you can get to get into heaven. There's not an amount of service you can do to get into heaven. There's only one way, and it's to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins. And when you believe, you are saved. You will be at peace with God. And from there, the next steps are you come into contact with your sin nature and who you are, but God will not let you sit there long because Jesus Christ, who's holding this together, this world with but a word, loved you enough that he died for you and your sins are forgiven. For those of us who have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, scripture says that God throws your sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't care if that's lying, cheating, stealing, adultery. It doesn't matter. All of us have done those things, but Christ died for it. And then you find this moment where you start digging into his word and you begin to believe the promises and the truths of all that you can find in here and your life never will be the same. You'll find yourself flipping on the TV and things you used to watch, you're going, oh, I shouldn't be watching that right now. Thoughts that you used to have would go away. Confidence will come. You begin to love who the person that you made as you figure out your identity in Jesus Christ. And so the message of Christmas is hope. It's hope that we can find salvation, that one day we can stand before an omniscient God and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Christmas is all about. And I'm wondering how many of us have forgotten that. I know many of us, we're going to go and spend time with our families, and some of us, um, maybe the love of our loved ones aren't saved. Are you going to share with them about Jesus? Because that gift card to Amazon is nothing compared to the gift of grace that Jesus has for you. But the reality is they may not know that gift is out there. We've got to share it. How dare us if we're going to hide this gift under a basket here in this room at Pathway Church? There's 115,000 people that say they do not go to church. We need to be out there sharing this message. And we just need to keep our perspective on what is Christmas all about. Watch this video. As it was, coincidentally, Right as B.C. came to a close and A.D. came to pass, Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph in a warm, cozy stable. And angels appeared to some shepherds and proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. But the shepherds were sore afraid. Nevertheless, said shepherds scurried off to visit the newborn baby, and they found him dressed in swaddling clothes. So they fell down and worshipped him, giving glory to God. Meanwhile, some wise men saw yonder star, I'll get it soon. And they followed it from yonder straight to Bethlehem. Are we there yet? They brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
and they fell down and worshipped the baby. But that was just the beginning. Then came Santa Claus. Ho, ho, ho. Actually, I prefer Kris Kringle. And flying mammals. And presents, and Christmas trees, and lights, and candy, and stockings, and penguins at the North Pole. Are the, the penguins? Sorry. Where was I? Flightless birds. Right, thank you. And a partridge, and a pear tree, and more presents, and wrapping paper, and TV Christmas specials, and, and shopping. And before Christmas sales, and traffic, and after Christmas sales, and the church pageant, and caroling, and, and long lines at the mall, and overbaking the turkey, and grandma's jello fruitcake, and, and snowmen, and stop the quiet Pardon the quiet It's just shush, shush, shush. This is stressing me out. I think I'm going crazy. Why are we doing all this? Processing this week, but I'm wondering, 
would it be possible for you to take some time just to pray and see what the Holy Spirit is doing? Imagine what it would look like right now to believe in Jesus Christ and to believe this world. We're not guaranteed any time. We could be at the mall today enjoying our cinnamon pretzels and have a heart attack and drop dead right there.
join into the celebration that's happening in heaven. And then number three, we have a gift for you. It's a Bible, there's material, because this is a new journey that you're going to be walking. Here's the coolest thing about the Christian faith. It's not Go in the love of Christ.